Shalom to all! Today we're going to learn Mishnah's Peah Peah Gimel Mishnah Vav and Mishnah Zion. And today's Mishnahs are being learned. They should be given with Siyat Dishmaya, good health, Parnas Bashafa, and Kaltov Sela. And now Mishnah Vav addresses the question of what's the minimum size of a field that would be Chayev to have Peah left during the harvest. So Mishnah Vav tells us, Rabbi Lezer, Amir Rabbi Lezer says, Karka base Roiva Chayev is a a piece of land in which a Roiva of a Kav of grain could be planted in it, that would be Chayev in Peah. So that would be a field that's a little bit bigger than 10 by 10 Amis, more specifically, 104 and a sixth square Amis, even better yet, 35 square meters. Now, Rabbi Shuaimer, he says, that's if it produces two saw of grain. We don't measure it based off of how much can be planted there, it's how much the land can produce, and that's two saw of grain, which is 12 kav. So what's the machlekes over here? Rabbi Lezer bases sheet off of a comparison between pay and kelayim. The issue of growing kelayim is with a field that one can plant a minimum of a quarter of a kav in. Whereas Rabbi Shua bases sheet off of a comparison between pay and shikha. There's no shikha on two saw of grain because that's considered a field. So too, the chiv of pay is on a field that can grow two saw of grain. Now, Rabbi he says, Shishal shisha tfachim, a patch of ground which is six by six tfachim, that would be chayv in peah. Why is that? Because one can plant five different species in this small patch of ground and not have an issue of kelayim. So we see that even this size land is considered a chashav. Whereas Rabbi Yehudah ben Beseir, he says, Kedei liktsar vlishnais, if one can harvest and then harvest again, so then that size land would be chayv in peah. What does that mean? So when they would harvest, they would grab a bunch of grain, they would take a fistful of grain and then swing their sickle at it and cut it down. So if there's two fistfuls of grain in this field, in this little patch of land, so it's considered a field that's chayv in peah. And the Mishnah says, V'halacha kedvar, the halacha is just like Rabbi Yehudah ben Becerra. Now Rabbi Kiva, he says, Karka kalshu chayev is a peah. Even the smallest amount of land is chayev in peah. So you're going to ask, how in the world are you going to leave peah off of a field that only grows one stalk of grain? You can't leave peah off of one stalk of grain. And the answer is, say the Mepharshim, that you actually could. Instead of harvesting it from the bottom, meaning instead of cutting this whole stalk of grain down, what you do is you start cutting off the top of the grain first, and then you can leave a little bit of that stalk, and that's considered peah. Now once Rabbi Kiva had mentioned this concept of karka kalshu, a little bit of karka, meaning the tiny bit amount of land, so we're actually going to have a number of other halachas that we have this concept relevant to of a little bit of land. Uva bikurim, if a person has a tiny little bit of land that grows one of the shivas haminim, so he's chayven bikurim. prosbol, if a person has a tiniest piece of land, we can even write a prosbol on that. Now, what exactly is a prosbol? So we know that when shemitah comes along, not only is there shemitah karkais, all land gets left alone. There's something called shemitas ksafim, all loans get left alone, meaning one that borrowed money actually doesn't need to pay it back. Now, Hill Hazakin discovered that people were not lending money because they didn't want to lose it, so he was matak in something called prosbol, which is a shtar written that the malve, the lender, transfers the right to collect the loan to Bezdin, and then the loan isn't dropped when Shemitah comes. But a prosbol only works if the borrower, the loyve, has land. That's because it's considered as if Bezdin actually already collected the loan from his land. So if the borrower, the loyve, has even the tiniest bit of land, we could write a prosbol on that. And also, if a person has the tiniest piece of land, we can actually buy nechasim she'elahem achrayis with kesef shtar nechazaka. Now what does that mean? So in modern Hebrew, achrayut means a warranty. So nechasim sheishlehem achrayis refers to something that can be used as a guarantee or security for a loan. Land is something that has achrayis. If one borrows money, then his land is used as a guarantee for the loan, similar to the bank having a lien on someone's house. So an example of this would be, let's say the loyva, the borrower, sold his land after he borrowed the money and then he defaulted on the loan, the malva, the lender, can collect from that land even though it was sold to someone else. That's what achrayis is. It's a warranty or a guarantee. However, with nechasim she'elahem achrayis, such as metaltalin, movable objects, which is what we would call stuff, a car, bike, book, umbrella, fridge, you get the point. So there's no achrayas. Even if the loyva sold his metaltalin after he borrowed the money and then defaulted on the loan, the malva cannot collect from those nechasim she'en lam achrayas. Now these different types of possessions are halachically acquired in different ways. One can be kind of nechasim she'yesh lam achrayas with kasef, with money, shtar, a document stating that he owns it, or chazaka, doing an action of sorts to show that he owns this field, such as digging in it. However, one can only be kind of nechasim she'en lam achrayas by way of meshicha, physically lifting, pulling, or moving the 
item, not with money or any other way. However, and here's the point of all this, Nechasim She'ein Lahem could be acquired along with Nechasim She'yesh Lahem So if Reuven sells Shimon his field, which is Nechasim She'yesh Lahem and he sells him his car, which is Nechasim She'ein Lahem all Shimon needs to do is to be kind of the field in one of the aforementioned ways, Kasev Shtar Chazaka, and then the car is automatically his, even though he didn't do Mashiach on it. So what the mission just taught is that even the smallest amount of land can affect this sort of Kenyan. So if Reuven wants to sell Shimon his car, he can also sell him a tiny piece of land, preventing Shimon from having to go and drive the car in order to be kind it. And moving on to Mishnah Zion, we continue with the same topic of Karka Kol Meira. If a person writes over all of his Nechasim, all of his property, all of his possessions, and the reason why he's doing that, the reason why he's writing a Shtar, giving all of his possessions to someone else, is because he's a Shchiv Meira. That means he's on his deathbed. He's about to die. So he writes a Shtar stating in it, I, Reuven, am giving all of my possessions, everything that I own, to Shimon. So Imshir Karka Kol if he left over a little bit of land for himself, meaning he wrote over everything to his friend, but he kept a little bit of land for himself. Then Mepharshim explained it doesn't have to be land that was left over. It could be some sort of other metaltalan. It could be he even left a pen over for himself and not land. Matnase matana, so his matana is a good matana. And we're going to explain this in a moment. But if he did not leave over any land, or he did not leave over any metaltalan, he literally gave over every last thing to his friend. So then, ain matnase matana, his gift is not really a gift. Now, this is actually specifically referring to the case where this shchiv meira, this person who's on his deathbed, actually got better. He recuperated. It was miraculous, but he got better. So if he had left over something for himself, he can't claim that the only reason why he was giving over his stuff to his friend is because he thought he was going to die. But now that he didn't die, he really wants everything back. He clearly wasn't 100% convinced that he was going to die because he did leave something else over for himself. If he really thought he was going to die, he shouldn't have kept anything for himself. So therefore, it's a valid matana even if he gets better. However, if he didn't leave anything for himself, not even a pen, not even the tiniest piece of land, so that clearly shows that he fully intended to die, and now that he didn't die, he really wants his stuff back, and he never really intended to give the stuff to his friend if he didn't die. And the message contains with a similar case, this person's a shchim he's on his deathbed, he writes over all of his possessions to his children, meaning he apportions everything among his children, and he wrote in this star that he's giving his wife a little bit of land. She loses her ksuba. So she really has first rights to his possessions because he owes her the ksuba. However, if she agreed to be part of the division of assets along with the children, then she openly forfeits the rights to her ksuba, even if the only thing he gave her was this tiny little piece of land. Now, Rabbi he takes this a step further, and we don't pass like Rabbi but he says, if she accepted it upon herself, even though he didn't actually write it for her in the shtar, but she accepted upon herself that she's going to be part of the division of the children, even in that case, she loses her ksuba. But then again, as we said, we're going to stop here for the day. Pick up tomorrow with Mishnah Ches and Parag Dal and Mishnah Aleph. For now, everyone should have a wonderful day.